they felt like they made an informed choice. And then when they comb through it later on, then they realize, oh my gosh, there's so many things that were traumatic and I did have a doula there. So how did that go so wrong? That, yeah. And then they'll say, but you knew. And yeah. it's right. We, we, we did know. know. And so then this becomes this super difficult place where what is stepping in and what is overstepping? I think that's a huge part of the burnout is I tell myself, yeah, I can go support this obstetrician birth in the hospital. And maybe it goes well for the first little bit. It goes great when you're at home and then you get to the hospital and then you see a few too many aggressive cervix checks in the course of eight hours and And you start questioning all your life choices. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, we're Sarah and Laura. We're the Dynamic Duelists of London, Ontario. Uh, Sarah here. I am a kinesiologist. Um, I came to birth because I was pregnant with twins and I started down the midwifery path. And then after I had my boys, I just was obsessed with it. I wanted to know more. I loved my doula and I wanted to be her. So here I am. I have two 11 and a half year olds and an eight year old. And I became a doula in between them. And then Lara and I have been working together for four years. And I am Lara. I started out as a massage therapist, still am. I got really into doing prenatal massage and then that kind of trickled into doula work after I had my first baby. I had a doula for that birth and it was a very fast, intense birth and I would have paid my doula a million dollars if I could have and I decided that's what I needed to do and add to my practice. So I also have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old and I'm a girl mom. Sarah's a boy mom <laughs> and I love working with a partner. It's amazing. <laughs> It really is. We think so too. Absolutely. Uh, do you guys tag team all your births? Do you go to together? We don't. No, we go okay. individually. Um, okay. Our clients would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was so going to say, that's like, wow. <laughs> that would be no, amazing. As I've said for years, you're already the hardest working and lowest paid women in the industry. So tag teaming doesn't exactly work with the numbers. That's true. There is a price for everything, though. If somebody wants that, I'm sure we would make it happen. We would just charge for it. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Okay. So one reason I was excited to talk to you guys today after we were emailing a bit and I was hearing your thoughts on some things is when I got into the work that I do, I started working really closely with a lot of doulas and it was very eye-opening because I was a mom who had a doula. I had one at my first birth. And I had my notions of doula work, but then when I started becoming extremely close friends with doulas, I thought, my gosh, the burnout rate is high. We need a doula support group. And a lot of my own clients who had beautiful births became so moved and inspired by birth that they themselves became doulas. And I always saw that within time, many of them would just get a little I don't know, discouraged, just emotionally beaten. They just ended up experiencing secondhand births that I guess they didn't want to believe were happening. And they themselves 
didn't experience. So they were going into it, looking to relive their own birth and experience more and more beautiful births in their lives. But they, they experienced this whole other world of birthing out there. So I'm wondering if we can start by you commenting on that. Absolutely. We love to go into birth with this idea of having a soft front for our client and a hard back to watch for what's coming. Because the reality is as much as some training bodies tell you, you're not there to advocate and that you're just there to provide the handholding and the soft skills, you know, to, in, to, to stop some of the trauma that's going to happen, you need to be able to um, say what you're seeing is about to happen and to articulate it and then ask for a decision and, and decide with your client how you're going to approach that. But that is exhausting. I don't think the majority of doulas get into this work because they want to be an advocate. And then that's the reality of the work. And advocating is exhausting and experiencing secondhand trauma I mean, it takes you out. And I would say that's one of the best parts of being in a partnership. We always tell doulas, like, don't try and do this alone. There'd be many times that I think we would have burnt out if we didn't have each other to, you know, talk each other down when we've had a really hard birth. And they do say like burnout is three to five years. So, I mean, we've been doing this for more than that, mm -hmm. but together in a really big way where we're doing over 20 births a year each. That's really only been the last four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of doulas get into this work because of the glorified picture of birth that we're seeing now on Instagram, on TikTok of twinkle lights and beautiful photography and that that's what this work is like. And yeah, sometimes it is. And we are blessed with attending these beautiful births that are twinkle lights and tubs and beautiful music. Um, but there's also a lot of very, very hard emotional work that goes into it as well as a doula. And to, I don't think that you can teach anybody that. I don't know if you can prepare anybody for that. It's really just comes with the experience. And I think in the beginning, when a doula gets into this, they really are bought into the idea of a doula for every woman and that I'm here to support all births. So whatever you want, you want a cesarean? Great. You want an epidural? Great. Whatever you want, I'm here for it. I think for us, now that we're this far into it, when we have a consultation with a client, I mean, we're really looking at, you know, here's your values. Here's what I'm hearing. And here's what we're offering. And, you know, if, if someone says to me off the hop, you know, I've hired an OB, they're really great. I trust them. And I'm just happy to go with the flow. Like that's a red flag for me, right? And so while we think as women that that's a beautiful trait to go with the flow, I mean, really what that says to me is that you're going to go for every single intervention that comes your way and that you're going to think it's in the best service of you and your baby. And so when an induction is suggested at 39 weeks for no good reason, you're going to be like, sure, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. And then when I would maybe ask the question that I've now determined already from the consult that you're not open to, um, of, you know, do you, do you feel like an induction is the best choice for you or for your birth? Is that what you're desiring? Um, does that feel like you understand the medical, um, necessity and consequences for that? And they're like, well, OB suggested it. And so obviously, you know, it must be right. How do you handle clients like that? Do you screen your clients in an, in an initial consult and pick and choose who you work with based on whether your values align? I think that a lot, we're, we're pretty, lucky in the sense now that we do have a really great presence on Instagram and we have a lot 
presence, um, a lot of information out there in terms of our website. So I think a lot of people are are almost pre-screened for us. Um, and in, and then by word of mouth, we're getting a lot of referrals from people who uh, want birth that usually sounds like people saying, you know, if I'm going to get an epidural, it's because I'm many hours in and I'm exhausted, but I really want to try without like there's there's not as many clients coming in that are like, I want one right away and I'm mm. open to all the interventions. And and then I think we would even ask that question, like, what are you hoping for in terms of doula support um, if we're in the hospital with you while you have an epidural? And, and what does that look like to you? And what are you hoping from this package? And we, I think in the beginning, we, we had a harder time asking that, you know, like really just blank. What are you expecting from this relationship? What are you hoping for? You know, and so we say that now and, and yeah, we, we definitely screen in terms of like who we think you'd be a best fit for on our team. Um, and, and I'm pretty, yeah, I would say so. What do you think people are looking for when they hire a doula? I think that many women now feel that it's just like, like a box they have to check. Like it's, uh, I should have a doula. This is what I see. This is what I hear. Everybody has one. It's supposed to make my birth better, but what do you think people are really looking for when they hire a doula? I totally agree. I think a lot of times that they don't really know what they're looking for. Um, usually the first question they ask is, what is it actually that you do? Um, so in those intakes, a lot of times if they are planning an epidural, we can talk through like what our support looks like during an epidural and what our support looks like when you're trying to avoid one and that we're kind of a Sherpa, a personal trainer, a wedding planner, but for your birth. Um, and also the other question that we get asked all the time is, do you replace my partner? So that's always a fun one to talk through how we know birth and you know each other. And our goal is to bring more intimacy for the two of you and help your partner be a better support person as well. The very yeah. notion that most partners can be birth support is a little bit funny because like in some birthing programs, in hypnobirthing, um, partners are called birth companions. But I mean, in the Bradley method, which certainly has its merits, but they, they've called it like husband coached. And first of all, the husband part is problematic because that's <laughs> not always the case, but um, the coached part is problematic. And we can joke about it, but I, you know, I've said to a lot of men in, over the years, it's like, you are the last person who should be telling anyone how to give birth. So I hope you feel a weight lifted because it's not my job to teach you how to tell someone else to give birth. This is a mother-led experience. This is an intimate bodily experience, just like sex is an intimate bodily experience. No one has to like come out of that experience and engage with someone else to describe or be coached through what they're experiencing. So what is the birth companion's job? It's to be lovingly present. It's just be present. Like I, I always say to my clients, I hope she looks up in, in birth. I hope she looks up in childbirth and sees your loving eyes looking right back at her and, you know, talk amongst yourselves about what you really want. But I mean, it's my personal hope. She doesn't look up and see you looking bored or watching movies on your iPhone, unless she tells you, Hey, go ahead. But mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have wanted that from my husband. Um, but that's a very different role from the person who's rolling up their sleeves and giving you that saying just the right words to support you through it, stroking your head or squeezing the hips or, helping you into another position. I love how you said it. We're preserving the intimacy of your relationship because that partner is now relieved from having to physically coach her through childbirth. Um, 
I've seen doulas go through some extremely difficult experiences in their work over the years. And some of them come to mind as I'm speaking. There was um, one friend of mine um, was called in the middle of the night, put on her scrubs. That's what she used to wear to her clients. And she was working with a single mom who said, I'll, I'll text you when I'm ready for you. I'm not ready for you yet. And she was sitting in her car on a pounding, raining night in her scrubs in the car, just waiting to drive, waiting for the go ahead, like, okay, come now. And after a very long while, the woman texted back, I've changed my mind. I don't, I don't want you anymore. And she just felt so defeated. And that was, that was also when she learned to collect all of her money up front before the labor, because she ended up going through that experience and learning a very valuable lesson as far as the support she went through pregnancy and what she went through that night and didn't get paid for it. And that was a shame. It's just very hard work, I think. We've had clients who were disappointed with backup. Yeah, We've had that's cl- true. postpartum end birth clients who the person that they wanted was not the one who showed up. And even that's a disappointment and they need to have a healing discussion after the fact. It's a lot of pressure when really the service that we're selling is ourself. This happens in midwifery home birth. Yeah. Exactly. Just, just the same. But I think the important thing is that when you take on a client, you let them know that that's a possibility and they must understand and agree that if you are not able to be at their birth, that there will be a backup who they may or may not know. I mean, yeah, just right. look at my experience with attending Cynthia's birth. She had never met me. She yeah. didn't know I was coming. The other birth assistant wasn't available. And so it was me. And, but you have to have that conversation um, at the start of care. So they understand that that's a possibility because you are one person and you can't be in two places at one time. Yeah. And we tell our doulas all the time, like our postpartum and birth teams, like life happens, Mm -hmm. kids get sick, families get sick and have to cancel at the last minute. Flat tires happen. Vacations happen. Yeah. Yeah. Someone goes funerals. Someone goes four weeks early. Yeah. We had one of our doulas have a miscarriage this month and she had to cancel a bunch of bunch of her postpartum shifts. Like Mm -hmm. we need humanity to have a little bit of compassion for each other. And I I think for that doula, I think you're right that if she had shared with them what she had been going through, I mean, I hope that that client would have been a little bit more understanding, but who knows? We can't make assumptions about what people's behavior will be. Totally. Um, back to the question you had at the beginning about why do people hire us and do are they just checking a box? And and absolutely, I think so. Um, the other part, though, there is attaching an outcome to what they think will happen when they check that box. So thinking that when I hire a doula, then I'm not going to have to change myself or do any work on myself. I've now hired a doula. This ensures that I don't have a traumatic birth. And this ensures the birth I see on Instagram with, like Lara said, the twinkly lights, the home, the home birth, maybe the, the birth in the tub. Or maybe they think I've got the doula with me. So now I can just circumvent, skip the, the home birth part. I can just have that birth in hospital, which I love how um, I think it's Rachel Reed says, you know, we should be more surprised that any physiological birth can happen in hospital. So when you're taking your doula with you, thinking that she is the key to your physiological, beautiful birth, and then the outcome doesn't happen because you've now outsourced 
your power to a doula. You think that that checkbox means you don't have to do the hard grimy work of learning what the system of birth actually is like, learning about what those interventions are and learning what it is that you need to avoid and how to protect yourself, protect your oxytocin. I mean, we obviously talk about all this in our prenatal class, but to really get that, sometimes I feel like people are like, but that's what I hired you for, right? The one key to any woman's best possible birth is the degree is responsibility. Yes. I think that this is the first lesson every woman needs to understand, but I do want to ask you, um, I think what would be hard for me is this in your work. I think everything about it would be hard for me. Honestly, I think it's, I don't know how doulas do their work, but what do you, how do you support people when their very values are at odds with yours? Yeah. What, what, I mean, you obviously, no one goes into this work without feelings and opinions and that's okay. I mean, I don't teach my childbirth class like a computer. I have passionate feelings about things. I believe they're rooted in evidence, but I'm, I'm also entitled to my feelings. I'm entitled to say that doctor is abusive and he doesn't deserve to work with you. That's your opinion. But what do you do when you're supporting a woman who is in the hands of such a doctor? Do you feel you're do you feel it's a self-betrayal? Do you feel you're betraying her? Do you go home and with a feeling of conflict or guilt? I feel like that part would be extremely difficult. So what do you do about it? Or say yeah, no to I, those clients. Yeah, right. I think What's that's a them? huge part of the burnout is I tell myself, yeah, I can go support this obstetrician birth in the hospital. And maybe it goes well for the first little bit. It goes great when you're at home and then you get to the hospital and then you see a few too many aggressive cervix checks in the course of eight hours and then you start questioning all your life choices. And then you go home and you cry for a few days and you talk to your doula team. And maybe you don't take on a hospital birth for a few weeks, a few months, and then you find yourself there again. It's really, it's really complicated. It is because you can have that intake where you feel like you're on the same page and then for various reasons, you know, maybe it becomes a transfer of care and then it becomes an induction and then it becomes a 36 hour induction. And yeah. And then you're in it for all of it. I will say we spend a lot of time texting each other and our doulas so that they feel supported when they're mired down in the birth dust, the fog, right. Where you think you're, doing nothing of value. You feel like you're just sitting there contributing to the grossness that to be reminded that, you know what, you need to go out and get a drink and go to the bathroom and wash your face and come back, or even let's tag out for five hours. Um, Because sometimes you're just stuck in it and you just have to get through it because there was no way to prevent getting yourself into it. And it is exhausting. And that, that I think you've hit the nail on the head. That is the burnout for sure. Yeah. What do you do? Do you ever say you do you ever say to the client you have the right to stop getting these cervical exams? Oh yeah. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. So yes. is the difficulty in not saying that to her, but is the difficulty in when she says, "Well, I'll just it's fine. I'll just let the doctor do what yeah. they're doing." Yeah, and then and then they years later you hear from them when they're about to have their second, and all of those things that you saw that you know were you know that were going to cause trauma, they consented to in the moment. They consented to having a cesarean when they had been pushing for a few hours. They consented to getting that epidural at 10 centimeters. Like all of these things have been consented to. They felt like they make it made an informed choice. And then when they comb through it later on, 
then they realize, oh my gosh, there's so many things that were traumatic and I did have a doula there. So how did that go so wrong? That, yeah. And then they'll say, but you knew. And it's right. We, we We did know. know. And so then this becomes this super difficult place where what is stepping in and what is overstepping, right? I can't say to you in the moment, you know what, Cynthia, you're going to register these cervical checks as traumatic in two years from now, even though right now they feel like it's just a nurse who wants to know how dilated your cervix is. Like I, I can say, um, you don't have to have these, you can turn them down. Um, but in the moment, do they even know it? Let's say even they're not particularly uncomfortable. I think it's oh. only in retrospect when they're like compounding them. They're like, wow, I had eight cervical checks or 12 and, and I, did I really need those? And, and yeah, that's such an obstacle for us to know how much, especially because we run a baby group. So we're sitting down with eight to 12 of our, of our women afterwards, and they're all telling their birth stories. And I often wonder after that, when they're sitting there listening to a birth story, looking at us and thinking, Hmm, you see this over and over again. What are you thinking? How can you not prevent this? And why is this happening to women? And then there's, you know, two out of the 12 that are what seem like the unicorn births. And those women even feel shameful telling their beautiful stories because they're like, oh, well, mine was so simple and easy. I don't have any trauma to share. They don't want to cause hurt. Yeah. But I, I feel like, I feel like if I were in your shoes and all I can do is speculate, I feel like as long as I said to her, you have the right to decline, you don't have to get these. I feel like if I said that, at least her future feelings about it really wouldn't be my responsibility. And many women aren't traumatized by cervical exams. But I think as long as I'm not going home feeling a self-betrayal, but if I were quiet and didn't say something when I might've been able to help her or influence her, I think I wouldn't be able to do that. I think the self-betrayal would be the first thing that would that I couldn't tolerate. Yeah. But if you're true to your values and you're you're reminding her of her rights, it is in her hands what she chooses to do with that information. And she may change her mind later and regret it, but you're doing your part, which is all you can do. That's it. Like that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. But some doulas stay silent and watch the abuse. Yeah. And I think that must eat them up on the inside. I just think that's, I think that's, yeah. a, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think being a doula is for a lot of people. We have to remember that hindsight is always twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and that people don't know what they don't know until they know better. And in some cases, people have to learn for themselves. It doesn't matter how much you tell them in advance. It doesn't matter in the moment that you tell them that they have the right to decline. Many people have to go through experiences for themselves before they embody the change of mind. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, 
underbelly seam, raw cut hems. And to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. I've sat with so many clients who, even though I'm sitting there being like, please eat, like, yes, I know the hospital's telling you you can't eat. Yes, I know they're telling you you're going to aspirate when you have this cesarean under general that they're dangling in front of your face. But like, please, if I could just know what the difference would be if you just ate and they still won't do it because they don't want to break the rules, like that stuff is what keeps us up at night. The one that keeps me up at night is the the speed with which everything happens in the end. So they're pushing, there's fingers in and holding tissues apart, and there's manhandling of the baby's head. And you've got this OB who's got 15 years of school and 20 years experience just doing their thing. And then babies on the chest, we know, maybe after an episiotomy or not, which I mean, again, we, we will be saying they're they're picking up the scissors. They're going to give you an episiotomy. Do you consent to this? And then babies on their chest and they're scrubbing the snot out of this poor baby. And I'm saying, you know, touch your own baby, talk to your baby. And, you know, then it becomes like, how much fight do I have in me um, to 
to go up against this OB to say, my client and I have talked about the fact that she would like it to be her hands on this baby, but everything's happening in such a rush. And the OB's trained to stimulate tactile stimulation for the baby immediately. And they're looking at you like, oh, cool. So you want the baby to die? Um, like you're like you're you're psychotic. And there's no understanding of the phys- physiological approach that we're trying to talk through. And that's the ones where I feel like I go home and I think, you know, how could I have said more? How could I have stood up more? And actually, what is the expectation of some of these? I mean, we're talking about hundreds of births in. How does a doula who's gone for a couple weekends of courses stand there with OBs? And we're in a teaching hospital here in London. So you've got a ton of residents standing there. And then you've got a pile of nurses. And especially if you get wheeled into the OR and, you know, even if you're allowed into the OR, um, you know, and so then you're supposed to be this person who all of a sudden chimes in and says all the things that your client, oh, like well, the interesting, that interesting thing, I have never done a doula course, but from what you're describing, it, it sounds like doulas have done the courses, maybe not that extensive. And maybe it's really just about learning how to support a woman emotionally through labor, but now doulas have taken on this huge role of advocacy in birth and they're self-educating and just the same way, you know, pregnant moms are, there. so many people are learning for themselves about their birth rights and what is acceptable in birth and what is not. And now you're sort of in this role of taking on this extra level of service to them, yet it's difficult because if you're up against the midwife or the obstetrician, like you said, you have a this small little segment of education, um, but emotionally you're taking on so much more um, because you know, you know better, you have, you, you have the knowledge. So that in itself just sets you up for a challenge. And I'll be honest, like we took our our training uh, 10 and 11 years ago. So I can't say with any accuracy what doula training bodies are training today, other than the fact that we've had a number of doulas go mm-hmm. through it. They've shown us kind of or talk through what they've been taught. So I can't say whether they're explicitly saying your role is not to advocate or you can advocate a bit. I've heard both sides of the fence of, on that for sure. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a daunting and impossible task to feel like you've done a good job when you've stood by and watched these things happen and not said anything, but also to go in there as someone who, especially if you're in the beginning and you're your first five to 10 births, you know that these people are seeing four to six births in a shift and you're in your first five births and you're apparently supposed to go in there and know all of the, without medical training, all of the outcomes and reasons. I mean, we're still learning and it's Mm -hmm. wild the amount of things that you have to unpack and the amount you could even read on things like evidence-based birth, like it's unending, really. Right. You well, you're taking on so much more responsibility than your education has initially given you. But it's very similar in midwifery. It takes many, many years and you become the best midwife and you become the best doula over time after you've seen things time and time again. And that's the same for obstetricians too. I mean, they come out of school and yes, they have many, many, many more hours of medical training than 
you guys get or even um, some midwives get. But it's the hands-on practice that really teaches you. It's you get that, you know, those experiences are, you can't learn that in a textbook. You know, being with a woman and being there is really the only way you become um, the most qualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I knew a doula who told women that, that she won't go to a certain hospital. Mm-hmm. She refused. And I can't help but respect that. I don't think she owes it to the public as a doula to go to every single birth facility. She's a human being. She's a mother. She's got her own life and family. And I think she has the right when you're in your, when you're in business for yourself, the one great thing that comes with it and should come with it is you choose who you work with. You don't have to open yourself to every single opportunity in the entire world. You have the right to say, this client makes me uncomfortable. This one makes me feel. However, I'm not going to that hospital. I don't support births in that hospital. And she doesn't. And I thought, well, you know what? You have to have boundaries in this work. This of all kinds of work, you need to have boundaries in this work um, because no one will perceive a boundary. You have to establish that. We've also heard from a number of doulas who actually say that they won't do hospital birth. They only support home birth. Yeah. And then on the flip side, we get people asking us also frequently, if you're planning a home birth, with a midwife, do you actually need a doula? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Less of the advocacy, right? Let the doula, a doula can take on so many roles. If a doula is at a home birth, you she would really do a lot less advocacy. She's going to see mm-hmm. a lot less typically of the things that make her uncomfortable. Um, but she still does her traditional doula work. It's like the role has changed because of things that are going on in hospitals and doulas now are expected to be advocates. I do think it's a valuable doula who reminds a woman always of her rights, but the woman does have to speak for herself. You don't have power of attorney over these people. Yeah. Exactly. To, I will say to, you know. now that we're through a pandemic, we have seen a bit of a shift in midwifery um, and even in the way like here in Ontario, the language in 2021 changed for the College of Midwifery of Ontario to be able to fire a patient and for turning down tests. No. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So you, oh, you can look no. that up. It's on their, their website. Um, so there's a different flavor there in terms of, you know, a bit more medwifery, medical mm-hmm. um, midwifing. And so there is some some advocacy too, that, that happens at home, but you're right. Not as much. One of the things that we often tell people when they're saying that, like, do do you think we should have a midwife and a doula? Does that make sense? Um, is that midwives have a lot of, they are clinically responsible for you. They're medically responsible for you and your baby. And they have a lot of paperwork to do. And the emotional support is not something that they have capacity for to do both in a really great way. Whereas for us, our only job is to be emotionally present and holding space for you in every moment. Um, and I will say over the last 10 years, there was a, in the beginning, I felt like a lot of midwives, even my own, um, about 12 years ago said to me, I will be everything you need. And turned out, um, she wasn't able to come to my birth because she was, um, at her wedding shower. But 
Um, I think there's been a shift where we've worked with enough midwives now who know like, oh, okay, this is your role. This is my role. And we actually can work really well together. And one of the benefits, this is maybe not to the client, but to the midwife is that they often get to show up a bit later because we help them decide if they're still in early labor and do they actually need their midwife yet? I think one of the, like both of us have considered only doing home births for sure. Crosses our mind after every hospital one that's a mess. Um, I think the part we struggle with is because we are, especially me, not so much Sarah, inherently a people pleaser. It's like, how do I say that I only support home births and not put shame upon those people that are planning hospital births? Or how do I say I only support home births? And then when that client decides they need to change where they are and go to the hospital and get an epidural or some sort of transfer of care happens, I'm like already managing a situation that didn't even happen and how that's going to hit on them that they think that I don't want to be at the hospital. I remember the first, I used to say to people, this is gross. So this was years and years ago. I hadn't experienced a client having an epidural in my first 10 births. Um, So anyway, I had said this to a client in a prenatal visit, like, you know, I haven't had a client had an epidural yet. And of course she was then my first epidural. And she, oh, this makes me still feel so gross. She apologized to me. Like, I'm so sorry I'm getting an epidural. And I was like, oh, no, this is absolutely the opposite way this is supposed to go. And I am never saying anything like that ever. Like stats are not ever coming out of my mouth. But so much of the stuff you have to learn the hard way. It's so gross. Thank you for sharing that. I know that wasn't easy to share. Thank you for sharing that. You feel, of course, I mean, you learn. Um, and back to what Laura was saying, um, I, I think that y- you would have the right to say to a woman, I don't do hospital births. If you ever went that route, I don't do hospital births. And it, it, it isn't that you're judging hospitals or her choice. Really, it comes down to, I don't do hospital births because I need to feel at peace with the work I do. I know what I can do well, and my hands are tied in a hospital, and I don't want you to hire me for me to feel later that I wasn't able to support you in all the ways that I want to be free to support you. And I think that's a very authentic, legitimate reason not to do a birth in a certain setting. I knew a doula who only did cesarean births, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. What if, if, why shouldn't everyone have the right to do the births where they love giving support? I do want to bring up the elephant in the room and somehow this just doesn't ever come up. Sexual assault, St- mm. sexual Sexual assault statistics are through the roof mm-hmm. and women are expected to go give birth without know. being triggered of assault and lay back for cervical exams. I mean, it's not just a matter of cervical exams being incredibly uncomfortable, potentially risky, um, um, and potentially risky, but this, this is a really big deal. I mean, when you, we talk so openly about how some people are traumatized, just going to the dentist, it's like, really <laughs> yeah. how about someone who's suffered sexual assault and having them go to, to their birth. Um, do you as doulas feel that it's your, um, responsibility to ask a woman if she has anything she wants to share with you, or how do you approach seeing if she wants to talk out any past trauma and talk through some of her fears or what she really wants for her birth without getting triggered again. Do you bring that up? 
We talk about it a little bit in our prenatal class. Like we'll say scenarios that we've seen, like you may want to sit back and think about as the partner and as the woman giving birth, um, what would it be like for you to have seven different people's fingers checking your cervix over the course of your labor with people watching in a brightly lit room? What would it feel like to have a strange man who you've never met come in and introduce himself and then very swiftly put his fingers inside of your vagina? Like, These are the things that people, again, when they're thinking about birth, because this isn't what we're seeing in the movies or on social media, they're not thinking about what effect that could have on them, even just physiologically, whether they're consenting to it or not, like our body knows what's going on. Um, So we try to talk about it. The other piece we we say is, um, you know, what gets the baby in gets the baby out. And so, you know, safety, sensuality. Um, and a, and a partner that you're comfortable with. And we often say, you know, the hands that you are physiologically comfortable with are your own and your partners. And mentally you will tell yourself, this is fine. This is safe. This is good. This is right to have this professional care provider who I met one minute ago, who maybe gave me their name or not hands inside me. That is fine. But physiologically, your body is saying no. And that might manifest itself down the road as vaginismus. And all of these things are true for people, whether they're walking in with previous sexual assault or not. Um, I do remember having this conversation with myself, as I do. Um, You know, is it something that you ask ahead of time? Do you have sexual assault that you want to um, tell me about? And I, I think I was a bit more explicit about it in my earlier births. And what I found was that it didn't have a lot of um, translation ultimately into um, what should or shouldn't be allowed at any birth, right? Like we we all should be given a level of respect and autonomy and consent that it is really no different or exception if you are coming in with sexual assault or not previously. The new rules for the midwives being able to fire a client had me thinking about this and thinking, okay, so if I'm supporting a client who does have a history of sexual abuse, who's turning down cervical checks, and now a midwife can fire that client for turning down cervical checks. So now that client's in a position where they have to disclose their history of assault in order to hopefully convince the midwife to not fire them. Like that is just blowing my mind that that is something that will possibly now come up. Is this and it's not a, or all of Canada? Yeah. It's, it's not as explicit as that. I think there's, it, so it's an eight page document. I was rereading it this morning and one of them is about um, how do they phrase that? Like uh, less for, for having desiring less than what the midwife can Mm, offer basically less than the standard of care. Right. So my assumption was that was, that was more around things like turning down, say a GBS swab or a diabetes test, or um, say an ultrasound for positioning or for breach or for um, placenta location, that those would be reasons. Those would be the the main three that I was assuming was insinuated, but it wasn't clearly explained what it meant by saying, you know, if you aren't basically saying yes to what the midwife is suggesting that they can let you go. So if, I don't know if that falls under that category or not. It's interesting because it really isn't your business if someone has a history of sexual assault. So you really can't come out and ask, but you want to open the door for the conversation 
if she does want to talk about it. And I think Sarah made a really good point, and I don't want it to get lost on us, that she was saying, well, why don't we just treat all women a certain way where no one's going to get traumatized and no one will get triggered if they have had a history? Like, why, why should we seek to create a yeah. gentler experience just because some women have already been traumatized? Why not just treat everyone that way to begin with? That should be certainly be the standard. And then in a healthy patient-provider relationship, whether that's an OB or a midwife, that should be part of an initial patient intake. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a midwife or an OB should know that history for a woman. That's, that question should be asked. And every woman should be treated in labor um, respectfully, and nobody should feel threatened by cervical exams or any way a provider touches them, but you need to be exceptionally sensitive in the case of somebody who has that kind of history. So before we, before we wrap this conversation, could you guys share with us, like, do you have a few top reasons or tips for women about why they should choose a doula regardless of where they're giving birth? Why should you hire a doula? The quote that we've been going to lately has just been we will help you have a better birth. So whatever your current goals or knowledge or education is leading you towards, we can make that even better by having a doula present. We can increase that intimacy with your partner, make it a less stressful situation, help you navigate the system. Um, And the earlier that you hire a doula, the better. That is the question we get all the time is when do you hire a doula? The earlier you hire your doula, the more value they are going to provide. We start in the very beginning with education. And that is the foundation when you lean into your intuition, coupled with your education, and then you get that self-responsibility. And then you just put a doula cherry on top to make sure that you're taken care of. We often tell people like, we can be your Google. and the, the reality is when you Google things, you're, you're made depending on the question you put in, you're going to get kind of a lot of generic information and the, the, the most, the bulk information rises to the top. And is that the information that aligns with who you are and aligns with the physiology of birth? And I do think we do a good job of explaining up front in that initial intake that our bias is physiology, anatomy, and biology. And we will help you unlearn what you need to unlearn from Hollywood. We'll help you relearn how to get out of your own way and how to help yourself in birth. And so that's really what we want to do is help you to move your baby through you in the best way possible. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Yeah. And if it's not the hospital that burns you out, it's the fact that you have to run a business. Yeah. And if you're not a business person, <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness. And and most people aren't really business no. people. No. And this is like, this is, this is the struggle of so many artists, women 
in women's work, it's like doulas don't want to deal with legal contracts and marketing and administrative tasks. I mean, it's growth and a lot of women end up thriving running their own businesses and, and it's a good thing to learn. But if you're not good at running your business or prepared to learn, you really don't belong in your own business because it won't serve you personally. 